Hello, and welcome to Root for Each Other, a Branches podcast, where we take a meaningful look at the dynamics of domestic violence and how trauma-informed, inclusive advocacy can make a difference. And the opinions on this podcast are ours and do not necessarily represent the opinion of Branches. My name is Amber Ross Chapman, and I'm the Director of Client Services at Branches Domestic Violence Shelter. I'm honored to be hosting this episode of Root for Each Other, a Branches podcast, because I get to discuss one of my favorite topics, and that's housing. It's especially fitting because March and April are two months that highlight safe housing and fair housing, respectively. But really, every moment for us is a time to approach safe and fair housing for all. So today I'm joined by two very special, very intelligent, and very caring women who work in services for people experiencing homelessness to talk about what we call the housing first philosophy. First with us is Dr. Amanda Coleman. So she is the executive director of Harmony House, which is a local day shelter that provides basic resources to the people who are experiencing homelessness. Harmony House also serves as the lead agency for the Cabell-Huntington-Wayne Continuum of Care, which is a group of community members working to coordinate funding and services for people experiencing homelessness. We're so very happy to have you with us here today uh, talking about the Housing First philosophy. You are an expert on this. We're also joined by Hannah Fox Caraballo, who I have been lucky enough to work with at Branches for four-ish, maybe five-ish years now collectively in a number of different capacities. She has staffed our emergency shelters. She has worked our crisis hotline like a professional. And now she serves as a case manager to one of our rapid rehousing programs that serves survivors of domestic violence in Cabell in Wayne counties. Uh, she's also pretty much a superhuman. She wouldn't tell you this, but that's why I'm doing the introductions here. So without further ado, let's talk about housing. And I'm going to go ahead and get started with some questions about the Housing First philosophy. So what is the Housing First philosophy? So at its most basic, the Housing First philosophy is an approach that recognizes that housing is a human right and it's not something that should have to be earned. Um, we meet people where they are and work with them to design a case plan that will help them access safe, affordable housing and hopefully maintain it in the long term. I think the only thing that I would add to that is uh, it's low to no barrier. So um, that involves no income requirement, no sobriety requirement. Uh, they don't have to be actively receiving mental health treatment um, and service participation is voluntary. Well, that's interesting. So how does this differ from other approaches? I definitely think the, the barriers as well. Uh, once again, <laughs> we believe that Stable housing is the foundation for improved quality of life. Um, so having a safe place to stay allows them uh, more time and effort to address health, employment, and sobriety, um, whereas most other programs have those as prerequisites um, to enter into their programs. I agree. I, I was working in our continuum of care during a period of time when some programs were still in transition from um, other types of approaches to utilizing a housing first approach. And those approaches really had a lot of expectations of people uh, and also didn't view housing as a human right. So you needed to earn it. 
And what that means is that people spend a whole lot longer experiencing homelessness than they need to. Uh, because when you're experiencing homelessness, right, you come up against all these challenges um, that make it very difficult for you to meet those expectations. Yeah. And Hannah, you spoke about some barriers like um, sobriety and recovery. Um, Those are extremely difficult to tackle, especially whenever people are coming to us to tackle their homelessness experience at that moment. They're, they're not attempting to, to cover those, even though that's part of the whole person. So I would say that housing first is a whole person approach, even though it has housing in the name. So uh, thank you all for giving that clarity. Um, so what are some fears about housing first that you all have seen from maybe some other programs or nationally um, in the homeless providing system? I think the word that I hear most often is that we are enabling people. I don't want to enable people. I don't want to enable their behaviors. I don't want to enable their drug use. Um, We also get pushback sometimes because leverage is lost. In the past, maybe programs wanted to use an offer of housing as leverage to get somebody to do something, right? So if you go to behavioral health care treatment and you take your meds, then you can have a place to live. Um, Or if you get a job, you can have a place to live. If you go ahead and give a person a place to live, people who have that viewpoint assume that people are not going to be motivated for change in their lives in general. They think they have to have something to kind of hold over their heads. I think a lot of the fears from people that I've heard are just rooted in misconceptions about the approach itself. A lot of the time we hear in domestic violence specifically, uh, why are you still helping that person when they're back in contact with their abusive partner. And I think as advocates, we know that it's a cycle um, and it takes up to seven times to leave that situation and for us to just stop because they're back in contact with the person that they are fleeing from. It doesn't really help them in the long run. Uh, We have to be there every time that they're willing to leave because that might be the time they actually stay gone. Yeah. And you talk about uh, survivors of domestic violence who so often have co-occurrences of homelessness uh, due to their experiences of abuse. What kind of work are you putting in with landlords to talk about the housing first philosophy? I do rapid rehousing case management at branches. Um, So I'm actually in the process of developing like a whole landlord orientation program um, that goes over the barriers that um, victims of, of domestic violence encounter when they're searching for housing. Um, one of the main ones is uh, they've experienced financial abuse. So a lot of the times landlords are requiring background checks, um, credit checks, and they may not have the score that they're looking for um, because their abusive partner has you know, taken over the finances and really just, just ruined that for them. Um, So I think just connecting to them, uh, making sure that they have an understanding of all aspects of domestic violence, not just physical violence, uh, is is what's really important. I would add that I think doing what you say you're going to do when when you're working with landlords is critical. It's as critical as it is when working with clients. Uh, We find ourselves in situations where landlords feel like they may be taking a chance on someone and they're willing to take that chance if they know that they're going to have access to supportive services teams or case managers who are going to be responsive if a situation arises in which they need some assistance. So it's essential to follow through. And what we see is that 
those landlords will end up renting to other persons who may be experiencing homelessness in the future. That brings a really good thought to my mind um, that many people that I've worked with um, when talking about housing first and putting it in place worry that it's like a housing only approach, but that key is every single person has different needs and different barriers that they need addressed and different teams that they need to be working with them. And I mean, you mentioned supportive services, and I don't know if people know what that means. Do you care to tell us what that means? Sure. It's basically the idea that we have a team of people in place who can work with the client that needs to be in a very client focused manner and based on the goals that they have for themselves. But that team focuses on removing barriers for that person to remain housed. And that looks very different for every person. So we may have one, one client or household that needs a little bit of financial assistance in the beginning, needs checked on for a few weeks, and then they're okay. We may have people who need really intensive services. They need to see us two or three times a week for years even. And we design the program around the understanding that we have to be flexible. So those needs can change, right? Uh, It can include anything from helping to mediate disputes with landlords, helping to set up doctor's appointments and providing transportation. It could involve helping a person budget or even learn how to clean. Anything that has prevented that person from remaining housed in the past. Yeah, I think one of the, the coolest aspects of, of our relationship with landlords is that we are able to provide them um, a direct contact with us. Um, so we are there to step in if any issues arise between either then the, the tenant or the tenant and the neighbor or tenant and utility companies. Um, you know, that's that's what we're there for to step in and help. Yeah. And I think, Hannah, you've probably had a lot of experience working one-on-one with people after they've been housed. Um, can you speak to any like client experiences the, in terms of supportive services that you've provided that maybe you didn't think would be something you would be doing? Uh, the services are very client-led, client-driven. Um, and it's important to remember that every single service plan is going to be different for every single person. I think I kind of went into it expecting well, this is what I did with this person. So clearly it's going to work for this next person as well. Um, so I think that was the, the hardest adjustment for me to make was realizing that I don't always know what's best <laughs> for this person um, and what worked for someone else isn't going to work for them. So just getting to know them, uh, getting to know what their needs are at that moment in time uh, really allows us to create a specific individualized service plan for them. I think that something that Hannah said is really crucial and we've been kind of talking around it, but the idea that a person knows what's best for them is so critical in this work. It's very easy for us to develop ideas about what's best for people or what they should do, but they are the experts on their situation, right? So they know what needs to happen for them to get housed and stay housed. And so having that relationship and spending the time to get to know a person so that they can put their trust in you and be willing to share that is essential to this approach. I agree. Um, Getting to know the people that you're working with and not just being an assembly line to put people into different spaces is, is really important. Housing first, a lot of people would think that 
that means just putting people into apartments. But I would say that Housing First also supports shelters, like brick and mortar places for people to stay. Um, So what do low barrier services look like for a shelter? We actually run a low barrier day shelter at Harmony House. And it basically means that we meet people where they are. We're non-judgmental. We focus on reducing harm. We really don't have a lot of rules and that makes people nervous. But if you think about the daily lives of a house person, for instance, if I'm walking into a public space, I'm not handed a list of rules that I have to follow while I'm there, right? Um, There's an expectation that I know how to behave in society. And we provide that same approach to our clients who are coming for day shelter. It takes patience and understanding to operate a low barrier shelter because everyone's at a different point in their journey. And we actually hire a lot of people who have lived experience with homelessness. And sometimes um, it can be frustrating for them because they think this is what I did and this is how it worked out for me and these opportunities are here. And they can feel very overwhelmed by the idea that a person is taking a different path or moving more slowly through the system, for instance. Uh, So it's really important to recognize, again, the individual and their needs. And just try to create a safe space where they can be and they can have their basic needs met and build that rapport so that they will trust us and we can move on to housing. Yeah, I I think that having a low barrier shelter is is just as important as having low barrier housing programs. One of the misconceptions, you know, that that is common or that I hear a lot is that, you know, that that's a choice that they made to remain unhoused. No one is actively saying no to having a safe physical shelter. They're saying no to the policies and procedures or barriers that are in place. A lot of the times the ones we see are, you can't bring your pets into the shelter. And so people aren't gonna come if they can't do that, or you have to stay in a separate room from your partner or your spouse. Um, So people will avoid going into places like that uh, because of the barriers that are put up for entry. That's huge. Pets are huge. And that's a change that we made at Harmony House um, three, four years ago. When I started, we had only service animals could come in. And it has just made a huge difference to allow people to bring their pets in. And honestly, I mean, we all know how relaxed animals can make us feel. And so it helps with the overall environment of the shelter. So now we're to the point that we've partnered with other local uh, agencies to provide vaccinations and well checks and flea treatment, spay neuter services, things like that once a month for pets so that um, another one of those barriers is removed when a person needs to go into housing and their pet needs a rabies vaccination and they've never had that. If I were posed with where I could go. And if the option was, you know, sleep in your car or go to the shelter where you would not be able to take your animals, I wouldn't go to that shelter too. So there are a lot of choices that people who are experiencing homelessness are forced to make, but I don't think being unhoused is, is one of them. I don't think many people will choose unhoused and Mm -hmm. yeah, speaking to myself, I would hate every rule that I would have to follow. (laughs) (laughs) absolutely (laughs) and hannah actually presented to our staff um, about autonomy and the different things that 
we as direct service providers would not be able to do in our day that some of the people we're serving are being faced with. That was really key to understanding how housing first works and why we can't just force people to do the things that we think are going to be appropriate for them. Um, So I spoke about direct service providers, people who are working directly with people experiencing homelessness or domestic violence, or sometimes both. So why do you think it's important that not only direct service providers know about housing first and are acting within it? I think it's important that not just individual programs are following this, but the system as a whole. Um, So it's not going to it's not going to work if everyone in your continuum of care, as we have in Huntington, uh, is not following the housing first approach. There may be a time where my specific program isn't the correct fit for a person. Um, they may need higher need of services than what I was able to provide, or they might have a lower need of services um, than what I'm used to providing. Um, but having the whole system use the housing first approach allows me some comfort and allows the the client some autonomy uh, in the choices that they're going to make. Absolutely. And it's also critical to think about the people who are working within a particular agency who may have limited client interaction or unexpected client interaction. So for example, somebody working in finance or a custodian, they interact with clients and also come to that location every day and see decisions that are being made. So we've talked about some of the preconceptions that people have about Housing First. We need to make sure that everybody who's working with us is taught the basics so that they understand why we're making the decisions we're making. It's just as important, you know, if a, if a custodian is walking past a person, that that person doesn't feel judged by the custodian as it does by the case manager. I agree. And we've talked a lot. It's, it's difficult to, to talk about this work and not get into like your feelings and the caring for people. And hopefully we have all those people working within the system who care, but what are some of the benefits of housing first that people don't think of like, like the economic benefit um, systems benefits that you all want to speak about? Yeah, I think, you know, for one thing, it reduces the length of time that people experience homelessness, right? So one of the things that we talk about a lot is burnout and compassion fatigue, things that are really common in our field. Uh, and, And I just can't imagine working under a different model where you watch somebody experience homelessness for four or five years because of rules you created. So I, I would think that that would really increase staff burnout Um, and impact staff retention as well. The other thing is that communities have a lot of concerns about persons experiencing homelessness. And sometimes those come from a really good place of being concerned about human suffering and, and understanding that they don't deserve to live this way. But sometimes it comes from concerns about the impact of homelessness on businesses or Some people just don't want to see people living in poverty. The housing first philosophy in reducing the time that people spend homeless has an impact on those factors as well. It's also cheaper. If you think about a person experiencing homelessness, they tend to visit the ER frequently. They need to utilize shelters. They have more interactions with the police. They're more likely to be sexually assaulted or physically assaulted. All of these things are costs 
to the community. So oftentimes, if I'm trying to explain the philosophy to someone and I can't make headway from the perspective of compassion, I, I look at it from the economic perspective. Sure, it's a, a benefit to the landlords as well. Um, less vacancies in their units and kind of a guaranteed monthly payment of rent. I think it benefits everyone. Our city of Huntington, we're, we're in Huntington. Um, it's, it's keeping people in Huntington. It is working with people to make sure they stay in the area and they do benefit these businesses. You know, we want people to stay here and we want Huntington and our people and our animals and our children to thrive. So I think that's a key piece in uh, adapting and everyone working with the housing first model. So I'm going to start the closing and I'm going to um, have you all fill in here. So I'm going to toss it to each of you individually. Okay. <laughs> don't, don't feel nervous. <laughs> so we've, <laughs> we've talked a lot about how the needs differ and they change. Uh, so for more information on what the programs are doing or the current needs of the people with lived experience, um, Amanda, do you want to talk about how people can find out more about what Harmony House and the Continuum of Care is doing? Certainly, they can go to our website, which is www.harmonyhousewv.com. We are a .com, not a .org. That can be confusing for people. Um, they're also welcome to reach out to myself or Marissa Clark at Harmony House. She's our assistant director. Our phone number is 304-523-2764. Thank you. And Hannah, would you want anyone to reach out to you and where would they do so? Our website, they can find my contact information on there. We're on Facebook as Branches Domestic Violence Shelter. We are on Instagram. We are on TikTok. I believe both of those are at Branches DVS. Um, but my email, fox at uh, branchesdvs.org or my phone number, 304-544-9884. And we are a .org. We are branchesdvs.org. <laughs> A key piece in, in differentiating our programs. <laughs> uh, but we are an active member of our continuum of care. And I want to thank both of you as representatives from that continuum of care to come and talk about housing first and let us know how we can all benefit from it. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for this very special episode of Root for Each Other. We are Branches Domestic Violence Shelter and we've been serving the communities of Cabell, Wayne, Lincoln, Mason, and Putnam counties for 41 years. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, please call the Branches Hotline 24-7 at 304-529-2382. And hey, Sarah, guess what? What? Branches is proud to serve all. Yeah. Yeah, all right. we are. Thanks, everybody. Go out and root for each other.